Welcome to a special podcast where we pay tribute to our late monarch, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I'm Marcus Stead and I'm joined by veteran campaigner and blogger Greg Lance Watkins. For more than 70 years, the Queen was our country's head of state and she was also head of the Commonwealth, a body of nations that clearly meant a huge amount to her. You don't have to be a royalist to have a deep respect for the life the Queen led. It was a life of duty and service. We live in an age where politicians frequently say and do inappropriate things. Maybe it was always thus. But for the last 70 years, the Queen has been the one person in public life we could always trust to behave appropriately and say the right things. Guided by her Christian faith and sense of duty, Her Majesty set an example that can and should live on. We should be grateful that just three months ago, we as a nation and as a Commonwealth, indeed as a world, had the opportunity to tell Her Majesty just how much we appreciated her lifetime of service. So much has changed in three months. We have a different Prime Minister and a different monarch. In this podcast, we look back on the Queen's reign and assess what sort of a king Charles III will be. But we're also going to have some fun. The Queen had a tremendous sense of humour and mischief, and Greg is going to tell us about the time he experienced it firsthand. Do stay with us. Well, we're recording this on the evening of Sunday, the 11th of September, and it's, what, more than 72 hours now since the Queen's death was announced. And I just want to get your general mood at the moment, Greg, because the way I'm feeling at the moment is that we all knew this day would come. And that's one of the things just what, um, at the time of the, the Jubilee, so three months ago now, it was a time of celebration, but also it was poignant in some ways because there was a sense that inevitably the Queen's reign is coming to an end, though perhaps we weren't expecting it quite as quickly as it came around. But we knew this day would come, but somehow, even though we're prepared for it, we're still not ready for it, if that makes sense. There was never going to be a good time for this, was there? Well, I'd like to take issue with you from the start. Um, you say we all knew it was going to come. No, I didn't. I thought she was going to last forever. <laughs> um, it really did feel that way. Hmm. And yes, when you say we knew it would come, um, I doubted she would go much more than 18 months beyond her lifetime partner. They'd spent too long together to be apart. And I thought that within a year to 18 months, uh, as so often happens with long-term partners, when one goes, the other honours their life by living another year, but then really it's all over. Yes, and, and I, I can understand that, Greg, because what they were married, what, how many years was it they were married? You, you tell me, it was 70 plus, wasn't oh, it? 75, yeah. like 75. Yeah, and, and when that person isn't there anymore, I admire the way the Queen handled it in the period since. Um, we, we obviously recall at Prince Philip's funeral, she was sitting on her own, leading the nation by example, as always, at a time when COVID restrictions were still very much in place. 
Um, she obeyed the restrictions very, very difficult though that would have been. And then we saw within a week or two, um, she was having uh, Zoom meetings. Where I think she was uh, discussing it with a group of uh, young swimmers she was talking to, and she was telling them about when she was learning to swim. And then we saw there were humorous moments in the months that followed uh, in the latter part of last year. Do you remember she had that giant sword when she was trying to cut the cake on that occasion and she was joking with the people who were there? Um, there's been a number of lighthearted moments along the way, but there, there, you're right, there has been a sense that she wouldn't, I wouldn't say she wouldn't want it to go on, but in a sense, life would have been very, very difficult for her without Philip at her side. I uh, I felt that all along, and, but this was not unique. What was unique was it's very, very rare that you can say of somebody that every aspect of their life was a life well led. Mm, absolutely. She, she in... I experienced her life. I remember her father's death. I remember her in a broadcast from uh, Kenya on her way back as queen, having gone from a young princess suddenly to being queen. She must have been aware that it was very much on the cards because she knew that... Her father had lung cancer. He'd always been a heavy smoker. And she knew that he was he didn't have very long. But we, the public, were pretty much unaware of that. No issue was ever made of the fact that he was dying until suddenly he died. Um, there may have been people... Um, older and better connected at the time than I, but uh, who realised, because I was only a child at the time, um, and she came back, and I remember the pictures of her getting off the aeroplane, dressed in black with Philip. She was now the Queen of England. And just as it's very difficult to think of Charles as King of England, and the Queen not being here now, it was then difficult to think of King George VI having died, and this young princess was the Queen. I don't disagree with what you're saying there, Greg, but the difference is this time, is that you've got to be pushing on 80 years of age to have any meaningful recollection of a time when the Queen wasn't on the throne. For my generation, and people younger than me, and I'm 38, so those younger than me and those considerably older than me cannot remember a time when the Queen wasn't on the throne. This is a momentous change. And I'll tell you what the thought that's gone through my head a lot this last few days. Anyone who listens to our 20-minute topic podcasts will know that I get greatly irritated by the calibre of politician at all levels in this country, a cabinet level, a House of Commons level, House of Lords level, um, the devolved administrations, the Mayor of London. I'm irritated by the, the poor quality of politician we've got in this country. And people will have their say about over the Queen's reigns, which prime ministers they think were good, which they think were bad, which they think were average. But the one thing you can say about the Queen from day one, and remember, she was a young woman when she became Queen. The one thing you can say is that this is the one person in public life in this country we could absolutely trust 
not to mess things up, to speak appropriately and to behave appropriately. And she was sort of the glue that held us together. Even people who aren't monarchists, even those who aren't fussed on the royal family, even those that would prefer republic, they very, very often hold the queen in a high level of regard because she had earned their respect with her behavior and the way she's conducted herself. And now that she is gone, Greg, I find that a little bit unsettling that she's not there anymore. I, I find it bloody terrifying um, because all my life, effectively, um, and bear in mind, I'm 76, hmm. all my life, um, she has been there. She's never put a foot wrong. Hmm. And you say, even Republicans, well, to be honest, only an idiot would be a Republican. You wind up with uh, who? Tony Blair? Well, this, this is the problem. Kinner? This is the problem. This is the problem. Trump? Yeah, let, let me make this point um, in terms of the so-called merits of a republic. The one thing that the monarch does, which I think is among their most important aspects, is they're like a king on a chessboard. They don't move very much. And they might they not do very much in the formal sense. I know the Queen is obviously very busy with their various commitments. But what they do is they occupy the space that stops other people, like the king on a chessboard. It stops others from getting onto that space. And this is, I think, where you were going with what you were saying there. If not the monarch, then who? Do we have an elected head of state? Well, even the countries where that has worked with a relative degree of success they don't have the same status on the world stage as a monarch of this country would have. The queen was the most famous woman in the world. We're seeing now from all sorts of places, tributes coming in thick and fast constantly, American presidents, former presidents, uh, the Commonwealth, the wider world countries with whom we don't necessarily have close links. They all respected the queen. You wouldn't have that with an elected head of state. And even if you said, let's not have a political figurehead, like go down the route Ireland has gone down with Mikhail Martin. I, I've got nothing against him particularly, but he is not a figurehead and known around the world the way the Queen is. But I'd say this, you can imagine how divisive uh, even a non-political head of state, because you could end up with, like I don't know, a lovey, for example. You could end up with, let's have a well-known celebrity, like let's say Stephen Fry became our head of state. <clears throat> now, he divides opinion, as all people do, for example. Some people might really like it, others would not but it wouldn't have that same unifying force. Now, the old Tony Benn argument that um, the, you wouldn't want to get on a plane and, and the announcement comes from the pilot, hello, good evening, I'm Captain Whoever. Um, I'm not actually a qualified pilot, but my father was a pilot, so let's just hope for the best. He says that's the argument against hereditary, but when it comes to that, I wouldn't want an elected pilot either, and I wouldn't want an elected dentist either. The statement from Tony Benn of, um, that you've just made was an argument for his own aggrandizement and an argument for political importance. This was a man who could stand there and say this purely and simply because he had renounced a peerage. He had all the benefits of heredity that put him in his position. Whether he would have made it to that position without the benefits of heredity, we will never know. 
But when you look at the concept of heredity and you make the con the comment that I'm a pilot because my father was a pilot, and so I'll probably be all right, this just doesn't hold water. We have seen the general demise and de degrading of our House of Lords by making it non-elected but non-hereditary. The great advantage of hereditary peerage, hereditary monarch, is that from birth you are trained to assume that role when you reach your majority and your independence, the moment at which you inherit. You have had the exper experience of growing up in a household that thought in terms of the longevity of that property, that land, those terms of employment, of those around them, you understand it. The majority of politicians have come from a background of family decisions as to whether to pay the electricity bill or buy food or go on holiday. Right. Now, with what you've said in mind, you are a little older than our new king, Charles III, but you are essentially of the same generation. And whilst you're a busy man, you've always got campaigns on the go, you're blogging all the time, as we know, but essentially your time is your own and you like your garden, you've got your hobbies, you've got your interests. Charles now, just a little younger than you, he stepped into something which he knew this would come and he was well prepared for it in one sense, though he was as prepared as one can ever be for one's mother's death. And yet the main business of his life at that age is ahead of him. So he, you know, there's no taking it easy for him. I mean, even his schedule in the last few days has been quite something for someone of any age, let alone if your mother's just died. Do you think he'll be daunted or overwhelmed or feeling tired about the responsibility that's in front of him? Because it is a lot to take on for a man of that age, isn't it? It's a lot to take on, but don't forget that one of the benefits of his heredity has been is the fact that his mother lived till 96, his father lived till 99, his grandmother lived to 101, so 73 isn't very old for him. Mm. We do, however, have the blessing that if he um, turns out to be a bit of a disaster, well, he won't be there long. <laughs> Well, I, I don't we like... Don't I don't have I, to panic about yeah, it. To be honest, Remember I Remember what Churchill said. Our system of government is full of problems, but it is the best system that has been devised anywhere in the world. It is, but there are aspects of it not to do with the monarchy that I think are in big, big trouble at the moment, and the root cause of those was the damage the Blair government did to our constitutional arrangements. but Oh, I agree with you, but look around the world and find me a country that isn't in deep, deep trouble. Oh, look, that, that, that's a whole new debate. I am saying that I think there are aspects of life in this country that are in trouble now like never before. Um, well, not, not in living memory for anyone who's around now. But 
staying on topic of where we want to go with this, in terms of Charles, the first thing I'd like to say to him is, well, first thing, offer my sincere condolences uh, following the death of his mother. And secondly, to say a very big well done on the way he's conducted himself in the last few days. Yes, he knew what his first days as king would be like. But again, as prepared as you are, you can never quite be prepared for it. And I think he's done it very, very well. And I would just... also like to add to that. And I am very, very, very glad that he has Camilla as his queen consort. She is absolutely perfect for the job, even if she does have a slightly shady track record. Well, yes, I think the time is now right and has been right for some time for us as the public and the people to accept Camilla as his partner and as his queen consort. And I actually look at her track record in more recent years, particularly in the years since they married. And in her own quiet way, in a non-flash way, she has done a lot of good work. So she certainly deserves our support. And people of faith, any faith, I urge you to remember King Charles III in your prayers. And those who haven't got a faith, just give, wish him all the best because he deserves our support of that. There's no doubt in my mind. And the days ahead, Greg, as I say, we're recording this on the Sunday evening. The days ahead are going to be like nothing any of us have ever seen. God, you'd need to be very old to have seen it. <laughs> but even so, this is on a different scale, isn't it? We, must, we also remember that from the point of view of the Republicans, Camilla is our queen. Hmm. She didn't inherit it. But she wasn't elected either. Uh, true. Praise be, she wasn't a politician. Yes. Yes, I feel that way, the, the calibre of politician we've, we've had in this country. I think there's a big problem Charles has got, and this is not his fault in any way, in that when you take over, whether it's business, whether it's a, a successful TV programme, anything where there's been somebody who's really, really good and the person in charge steps down and somebody else takes over, you're always going to be compared to that person. Now, we see that in business. We see it on television programs we like over the years where the host has stepped down and someone new has come in. He will, through no fault of his own, always be compared to his mother. And that in itself brings its challenges, doesn't it? Oh, yes, indeed. But he's a very different person. Mm. He starts out from the position of his age and his maturity. The only dangers I foresee are that he can be somewhat entitled in his attitudes. He can be petulant in his behaviour, but the only real danger is that he will be political and will be espousing some of the kook ideas he has had during his earlier life are all aware of his um, attitudes of rather lunatic woke. We're all aware of his um, batty belief in uh, homeopathy, which doesn't have an iota of grounding. We're all aware of his very well-known belief in crop circles, and it was really um, little green men from somewhere else looking to find a way 
of accessing his family because they were important. Right. And he got a bit carried away with things like that and mm. climate change. And um, if he is allowed to wander off down those um, demented rabbit holes, he'll be a disaster. But he's already acknowledged that he won't be doing that. Let's hope he sticks to it. Right. I think you've touched on an important aspect of his character there. And you could apply this to anyone. He is 73 years of age. He'll be 74 in November. And anybody who's lived their entire life in the public, either way he has from his very, very earliest days, there will be ups and downs. Nobody on this earth has led a blameless life. The difference being that his mistakes have been magnified because they've been made in the public eye. Now, the stuff you've referred to there, yes, it's eccentric, it's quirky, it's a bit odd. I don't think he's going to be going on about that sort of thing now that he's king. And he, he said as much in his excellent address to us um, on Friday evening. Um, there's something else that does concern me more that I think is more of a pressing matter and a much more of a current matter. His judgment has been known to be a little bit off in terms of who he accepts gifts from. Less than reputable people in the wider world is what I'm getting at. Uh, he's had some very poor advice at times. Mm. And I think that you'll find that those around him will take a tighter hold. Mm. Mm. I, I would hope that you're right, because that is one of the primary concerns that I have that his judgment has been a little bit off when it's come to that sort of thing, even in the relatively recent past, in recent uh, years, in fact. It, it's not unusual in that position um, to place a little bit too much trust in people because you're unaware of the um, ability for corruption of many people because... Mm. You've never had the opportunity to be that sort of corrupt. Look at the stupidity of Andrew mm. in his choice of friends. Mm. Indeed. But he didn't have the advice from somebody turning around and saying, don't be a bloody idiot. Yeah. And in terms of Charles, he will be a king of a different generation to his mother, goes without saying. He'll have his own style and his own way of doing things. I think the early signs are positive. Yes, he'll move things on. He'll modernise in some ways. In appearance, he'll obviously be very different. But simple things he's done in the last few days have given me some confidence, like that uh, walkabout he went on outside Buckingham Palace. Nobody really thought he was going to do it. It wouldn't have been expected. And yet he was greeting the crowd. He was shaking their hands. He was thanking them for turning out. There was that humorous moment where that Cypriot lady kissed him. Um, but the point being, to start off with, people have said in the past that he, he could be a little bit seemingly aloof and set in his ways or shy or what have you. But I think in recent days, he's really already grown into the role in a big way. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And here again... Um, I reiterate my comment about um, his queen consort. She is a very steady influence on him. She's experienced. She has stood outside of being a mainstream monarchy. And she has been able to judge pretty damned well. 
Mm. And I think she will bring to him a great deal more stability and maturity than we could reasonably expect. She is already standing back. You will have noticed today, uh, or maybe not, uh, she has been travelling between Clarence House and Buckingham Palace, remaining at his side for social events like uh, meet and greet with uh, diplomats and heads of the Commonwealth, but absenting herself for business events like the meeting with the um, Prime Minister and Cabinet. And in terms of Charles's, we've talked a little about his support network and the advice he'll give, but his own family. And the, the cause for concern there is obvious. Well, the first thing I would say is best wishes to the new Prince and Princess of Wales. Prince William, I've criticised him on occasions in the past, but he's somebody I think who has grown up. You know, he used to lack, I think he was always well-meaning. He lacked a little bit of oomph when he was giving public speeches. He used to trip up over his words and so forth. But I think marriage to Kate has really um, seen him grow into a, a, a man in the true sense of the word, and he's grown into his role. And that thing on um, Saturday where the impromptu walkabout outside Windsor Castle, the TV people stayed with him and his wife for quite some time with that. And I could hear quite a bit of what he was being said. And both of them, both William and Catherine, were saying the right words to people. There was warmth, a little touch of humour. She, in particular, is able to relate to people on a human level. I'm not saying he isn't, but you know what I'm getting at. She has that warmth. We used to see it with Diana as well. I think those two could be real stars. Um, I, think, and... I think also that it was very, very noteworthy that they had the confidence as individuals and the confidence in each other not to wander around clutching each other's hands hmm. and exposing themselves to the coercive control that is so obvious between Meghan Markle and her husband. I I'm inclined to agree with you there in terms of the dynamic between Harry and Meghan, that there is something very, very odd there, the way he has been cut off from his family and his friends. And he seems to me to lead a somewhat isolated life now in California and not have people he's known for years around him. Um, and he always looks so, obviously his grandmother's just died, but even bef well before that, he always looks so solemn and miserable, and it's quite a contrast with the Harry of years ago. But my concern, okay, I, I am concerned that he may be in a bad place mentally and, and under coercive control. But I am also concerned about um, what Meghan has got lined up in terms of, look, that thing with Oprah Winfrey, you can pull that interview apart. There were so many untruths coming from her mouth in that. It was unbelievable. But here we are now, She's got various other things in the pipeline, a book deal, I think, and there's going to be more interviews coming out. She and, well, him being under the thumb as well, those two could be utterly toxic for the new monarch and indeed William and Kate. I don't think they will do them one iota of harm. The only thing that we have to be aware of, and if you look at the Washington Post, the New Yorker, 
the New York Times, the um, mainstream uh, media of America, their desire to pander to the woke and to attack Britain is astonishing. Mm. It is so naive. It is so completely ignorant. And yet when you dig deeper, you find that much of the reason behind this is that newspapers like um, the New York Times and the Washington Post have recent be recently been attracting extreme left-wing British journalists who have an abiding hatred, as with many socialists, an abiding hatred of Britain. They don't know why, they don't understand it, and educationally, they haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Well, what I what I think is fascinating, what you said there, is the way the word, the meaning of the word socialist has changed during the Queen's reign, because we used to have a patriotic class of socialists in this country in the mould of Clement Attlee and Hugh Gateskill. Look at what that word now means. I mean, Attlee did a lot to keep the nuclear deterrent. He had a deep respect for the Queen. Um, he loved this country and look at what that word has become now it's, it's become a word with a very different meaning all linked with woke ideology and so forth but i think there is a fundamental truth beyond that this isn't about whether you're left wing or right wing or anything like that now this is about truth and lies and the things the toxic things megan said in that interview in particular with oprah winfrey you can pull it apart so easily the accusations she made of racism the things she was saying uh, about the inner workings of the royal family, that saying that um, her children hadn't been given royal titles. Well, they have now by the new... They weren't entitled to them. Exactly, but they are now, and they've been given them at the appropriate time. And that is exactly what's happened, as it was always going to be the case. So the point being, Greg, I think intelligent people, and even not intelligent people who've got a little bit of common sense, are seeing through Meghan and Harry's nonsense... But I do fear that, particularly in the United States, there is an element there that will whip it up and she'll go for a moment of glory. I think as time passes, at least I hope this is how it works out, as time passes, people, even the dimmest amongst us, realise that this is all nonsense coming from them and we just ignore them like an, like an annoying irritant in the corner of the room, like an annoying like drunk in the pub. Well, like, like an annoying drunk in the pub that we just want to get away from. But it's I a hope... bit like Braveheart, Marcus. It's a Hollywood dramatization that has absolutely no relevance to the truth. Mm. But we see that. But whether um, I just hope they don't do any damage at a time where I can trust Charles to uh, um, try and steady the ship, William and Catherine, yes, um, certain others as well. But I do fear what they the influence they might have in the months ahead when particularly the American media is chasing them. We've talked already, Greg, about some of Charles's potential flaws, and we've also both said we admire the way he's handled himself in recent days. I should also make clear that I'm aware that this is very much a man who has good qualities. I can give a number of anecdotes on this, but I'll give one in particular of somebody I know who's worked for various um, hospices in particular uh, on the administrative side and on the fundraising side. And she used to work for a well-known children's hospice in South Wales. 
and Prince Charles, as he was then, visited. And the two of them got talking. And one-on-one, he was very interested in what she had to say. He listened sincerely. He listened carefully. He asked good questions. He was keen on both the day-to-day life at the hospice and the fundraising side. He was intelligent. He was thoughtful. Now, that's one example from a conversation I've had in recent days with somebody who's met him, but it's by no means unique. This is a man, a little bit of a dreamer, perhaps, um, a much certainly a much more sensitive man than his late father in terms of personality, but also a man of significantly good qualities, I think. Well, I think he's... I'd go as far as to say he is thoroughly decent. Mm. Uh, he... He, you're right, he is a bit of a dreamer. Um, there is an element of um, understandable entitlement. And I think he has some um, quaint, if slightly dangerous, uh, beliefs. As I said, when it comes to um, mankind, climate change and... Um, all the fraud surrounding that, I don't think he can tell wood from trees. Mm. But that's due to advice. He is not going to know everything about everything any more than anybody else is. But he does have access to the best advice in the world. Let us hope he takes it. And I think he will. Mm. Yes, yes. It's one of those things with age comes wisdom on that. If he understands his own shortcomings and is willing to take the right advice that can only be a good thing but i do believe this is a man with significant good qualities that people will be seeing because at the moment we're sort of between we're hugely mourning the queen and we're going to miss her terribly but we're also curious as to how this new carolian age is going to pan out and one of the the queen's great qualities and we'll talk about her other great great qualities in the time we got left in a moment was that every single one of the prime ministers, 15 of them, I think there's been, the ones I like, the ones I don't, the ones I'm indifferent to, all say that the the weekly meetings, one-on-one, you can take total confidence, nothing's going to leak out, you'll treat everything you say in confidence. Unless you purr. (laughs) No, that wasn't a weekly meeting. That was, uh, if you don't know what Greg's on about, yeah, Greg is referring to the morning after the Scottish referendum of 2014, when um, David Cameron said, yeah, the no side has definitely won, and the Queen purred, and David Cameron revealed that the Queen had purred, and she gave him a good telling off for breaking convention and revealing their uh, private phone conversation. But the basic message you get from every former Prime Minister, without exception, is that what is said in that room once a week is kept in confidence. And if you are looking for advice or some wisdom, you will get it and and she will give you good advice to the best of her ability. There are also lighter touches. I mean, she got on particularly well with Harold Wilson. And there was one incident where um, he arrived much later at night than he normally would. And he he arrived, I'm very, very sorry about this. It's just been an incredibly busy day. I haven't even had anything to eat. And the Queen said, well, would you like something to eat? Um, and he said, well, surely all, all your catering staff have gone home. She said, yeah, they have, but um, I'll make you some scrambled egg on toast or something if you want. And he, he said, are you sure? He said, he said uh, yeah, no problem at all. And she went into the kitchen and made Harold Wilson scrambled egg on toast. So there was that, that side to her as well. But the, the serious point about it, though, I mean, OK, we know she had those human qualities anyway and, and that sense of generosity. 
But prime ministers greatly valued it. Um, okay, we know about some of Charles's shortcomings. We've said enough on that. Do you think Charles will have that same sort of rapport with prime ministers now and in the future? I think it will be something that he will increasingly grow into. But don't forget that the comment of Gordon Brown that you may not may or may not have seen, that he found on occasions it was deeply embarrassing because she knew more about what was going on in Britain than he did on many occasions. Mm. And she quoted on one occasion and commented on the fall of a regime in a Commonwealth country Mm. and the new leader of the country. And he didn't even know the problem was going on. Well, that goes to show, doesn't it? For those who, who may not follow the protocols that closely, the Queen on 363 of the 365 days in a non-leap year gets her boxes first thing in the morning and she'll spend a considerable amount of time at the start of each day going through those boxes, which contain things like Acts of Parliament, uh, a precy of what's going on in the various Commonwealth territories and so forth. And she was always on top of the detail. And the only two days a year she'd have off those duties were Christmas Day and Easter Sunday. Every other day, she would start each day by doing that. And and she had a considerable memory for all of that right the way through her life. It it was a considerable ability. Do you think Charles will have that? Well, I personally happen to know that her first action in the morning was to open her red boxes before Mm. she dressed, Mm. before she had breakfast. She had done an hour's work on her red boxes Mm. every Mm. day of her life. Yeah. Charles, I think, will act likewise, but it will take him time to get as up to speed as his mother. Yes, he will have met most of the Commonwealth um, leaders and been to their countries. But she, of course, had travelled extensively and had was in a position to discuss with Commonwealth leaders their predecessors. Mm. So she had a much greater knowledge but that will come with time. And I think Charles will at least have the wisdom to take sound advice. If yes. he doesn't, the monarchy is doomed. Yes, and I completely agree with that. And on that note, the, the final aspect of this discussion is to look at what we've lost. We'll do the serious stuff, then we will have a little bit of fun in the final few minutes. The Queen's great qualities, one of them is that she always knew how to handle situations. And of the many tributes, there was one I read the other day about a man who not that many years ago had been serving in, in, with the military in Aleppo and he was badly injured. He'd lost some of his hearing. I don't know whether it was temporary or permanent, but and he was very, very traumatised by what he had seen. And he was invited to Buckingham Palace not long after he returned to this country. And he was explained to him before he met the Queen, you'll be having a meal for the first part. The first course, you'll talk to the person on her right. You'll be sat to her left. The second course, she will talk to you. 
And because he, he was very distressed, he was thinking about the people he served alongside who were still in Aleppo. And he had experienced some horrible things and his mind wasn't really on the occasion. He felt slightly guilty being surrounded by all this grandeur while those he served alongside were still out there. Um, but he, he listened but didn't take on board what this guy was saying. But he went in there and he met the Queen and he could barely get two words out. And on that second course of the meal, the Queen turned to him and much as he tried, he just couldn't converse with her because he was, he was distressed and overwhelmed by it. And she just asked somebody watching on, just pass me that box over there, please. And they did. And she said, These, uh, this box has got dog biscuits in it. And she opened it, gave, took out a handful and gave it to him. And the corgis were at their feet. And she said, right, let's, let's feed the corgis. And he did. He was handing the corgis these little biscuits. And then the queen said, there, that's much better than talking, isn't it? And that was her way of dealing with a man who was clearly distressed, not in a position to hold a conversation, but yet she found a way of putting him at his ease and making him feel comfortable. That is some skill, isn't it? Oh, indubitably. Um, an amusing anecdote myself was uh, I had gone home to Scotland, having not been home for a few months, and uh, my parents had said uh, they couldn't pick me up from the railway station, but if I went into the uh, hotel in Strathcarron, the landlord um, would have the keys for a vehicle for me. So I got off at Strathcarron, and I sauntered into the hotel. I spoke to the landlord and he said, oh, yes, um, do you want a drink? So we had a drink together and he gave me the keys and it was a short wheelbase Land Rover. And I set out for the 27 miles uh, to my home over the highest road in Britain. And as I came over the top, there was down in the bay below, and bear in mind that I was up at just over 2,000 feet on the road, down below was a destroyer in the bay. And I thought, oh, that's unusual, it must be a military exercise. And then I saw miscellaneous bods all around, just out of sight off the road. And I thought, oh, that's strange. I drove on down to home and was... Um, you know, I hadn't been home for a while and I was a youngster and uh, I was driving much too fast, which was, um, I regret to say, not unusual. And going up the driveway and someone stepped out of the bushes just ahead of me. And I was about to berate them for being so damn foolish. They could have got themselves killed. And they turned round and it was the Queen and she had fallen in the river fishing and she was soaked to the skin how old would she have been at this time oh that would have been that would have been 50 years ago at least <laughs> um i would have been what about 19 mm. oh, um, more than 50 years. more than 50 years ago yeah. um and um she just smiled and i said can I offer you a lift, Mom? <laughs> um, and she accepted the lift. <laughs> so we've now got a story, which was not in the public domain, of the time you saw the Queen soaking wet after falling in a river. So she was soaking wet and accepted a lift from a stranger. 
Uh, she would have known who I was. Yeah. But yes, she accepted a lift from a stranger. There are some wonderful, wonderful stories about the Queen's sense of fun and mischief. I mean, for all of her... 19, they didn't come much stranger. <laughs> But, the, the, you know, for all her formality and the way she'd be able to handle herself at the Cenotaph and at formal dinners and on solemn occasions, this is a lady who had a tremendous sense of fun and mischief and humour. And the anecdotes, there, there's lots and lots of them out there, some of them in, involving tourists who bumped into her at Windsor and stuff like that. But this was somebody, we gather she was a great mimic in private. She could do impressions of senior politicians in this country and around the world. Very, very entertaining, witty company. I mean, even today now, um, she's been, her body has been moved from uh, Balmoral to Edinburgh. And they were interviewing people who, who saw her in and around the Balmoral estate uh, and local people in nearby towns. And they said, oh, yeah, she was sarcastic. She was funny. And she said, whenever I saw this, she was just a lady dressed. She had um, a headwear on or what have you, like, like often you see little old ladies wearing. Uh, and she just had this really good sense of mischief and humour about her when she was off duty. Well, another quick anecdote. Um, it was not unusual at family meet meals that um, she and Margaret and other members of the family would speak competitively in double entendre. And the aim was to say something that had two meanings. And the challenge was for the other person to respond to both meanings with one sentence. And you can imagine how difficult that is. Yes. But what you might not be able to imagine is how frequently it becomes unprintable. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can quite imagine that. And, and this is... was considered hugely funny. Yes, yeah. And they had a marvellous sense of humour. And uh, of course, all, all of the people around them were very well educated. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I... I, I really like, and these stories have come up, particularly what Theresa May said in the House of Commons the other day about when she and her husband uh, were invited to spend some time in Balmoral and the Queen was driving them round the estate at high speed, which was an experience. And also when they went to the barbecue, and apparently this was entirely normal, once the food had been served, the Queen had to be at the end of the row of tables doing the washing up herself. Well, I've already talked about the time she offered Harold Wilson a scrambled egg on toast late at night. Um, this sort of thing was was not uncommon. The, the Queen did have this. She particularly loved Balmoral in that sense because that was the nearest she could really get to just being an ordinary person when she was off duty or as near as she gets to off duty. And there was that sense of down to earth. Even we hear about on an ordinary evenings in Buckingham Palace or Windsor or whatever, She'd have a one-bar fire on. You know, there was a frugality about her as well. She an ordinary Tupperware, this sort of thing. There was that side to her as well, wasn't there? Well, breakfast cereals were served in Tupperware boxes. Mm. Um, and uh, barbecues um, were very much the domain of the Duke of Edinburgh to do the cooking. Mm. 
with the barbecue and she did the washing up. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't matter who was there. Mm. And we can say these things now um, safely, but that was produced in a documentary, some of that information, uh, some years ago, which she deeply, deeply regretted because it showed that she was very human. Mm. And that removed a certain amount of the mystique that was absolutely essential to being able to do her job. And it was never shown again. Yes, that's right. I think it was the Queen Mother in particular really didn't like that documentary. And I think that was the year, the only year the Queen never didn't deliver a Christmas address on TV. I think I'm right in saying um, or, or that was the only occasion it, it happened when she began doing the Christmas addresses on TV. That was the only year she had off from doing that. Um, it, it did have quite an impact and the, the briefest of clips have been made available, but it hasn't been shown repeated on TV for well over 40 years now. I think it was repeated once in the late 70s, but never again. Um, and, and yeah, the that Queen Mr. Mother, hmm. The Queen Mother probably didn't like it because it showed her sitting there with a gin bottle. <laughs> yes. One of the Queen's great strengths, I think, was she was at her happiest at Balmoral. I think it's safe to say that. And in a sense, it takes some comfort knowing that she died in that surroundings that she loved so much. There's something great, and, and I hope Charles learns from this. I hope William and Catherine learn from this as well, in that the Queen could have, if she'd wanted to, spent her quieter periods on Caribbean islands, on the yachts of billionaires and goodness knows what. She preferred the solitude and the rain and the drizzle of Balmoral. I think there's something wonderful about that. Uh, don't forget, her mother was Scottish. Mm. Yeah, but to choose, okay, I'm not saying she was in a terraced house in Balmoral or anything like that, but to choose somewhere like that, where she could ride her horses in peace, go out in the rain, take a walk. All of that was open to her there. She preferred that to luxury yachts in the Caribbean or private islands or hot beaches. That was where she was happiest. I think that is a great quality of hers. Without a doubt, Balmoral is one of the nicest terrace houses in the world. Mm. Yeah. Um, she also loved every because she did it every year she used to sail from Aberdeen around to the west coast of Scotland in Britannia mm. sometimes she would sail back as well mm. because that's where I met her on west coast Scotland mm. And she used to go around there and she used to stay for a few days and then go back again. Mm, mm. Um, and she truly loved Britannia because she was very safe. She knew all of the crew who she came in contact with and they were a complete cross-section of her people. Mm. Yeah, and there's various things I could say about the Queen and the way she was able to relate to people through my work in sports journalism 
obviously she met people from all sports. She had a particular love for horse racing. But all the people I know who met her, journalists, retired sports stars, in some cases still active sports stars, they all say that she knew how to relate to them and she would engage with them. She would put them at their ease and she would know how to handle any situation. It's a tremendous gift. So I'm going to sum up my this podcast now with my own final thoughts on Her Majesty. And I'll invite you to say a final few words in a moment, Greg. But for me, it was a life of duty, first, self, second, dignity, integrity, sincerity, um, also having this sense of fun and humour and occasional self-deprecation, whether it was the James Bond thing at the London Olympics or the Paddington Bear wonderful sketch for the recent Platinum Jubilee. This is a woman who earned the respect of not only this country, but the Commonwealth, the United States, Europe, the wider world. And she earned that respect. She was the most famous woman in the world, but she earned that respect. And the tributes that have come out in recent days and that will come out in the days ahead, and the days ahead are going to be extraordinary, shows what a remarkable, well-lived life. We will miss her hugely. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And possibly the greatest and most notable aspect of her dying was the fact that the first world leader to offer condolences was Putin. Well, he can stick it, frankly, the, the way uh, he's treating people. Perfectly true, but this is a country that killed their monarchy in a cellar. Hmm. And yet the respect was obviously there since we are in a sort of second-hand war with Putin at the moment, that he bothered to offer his condolences. I will, I will willingly accept condolences and even be thankful to world leaders of our differences, whether it's Macron or Trudeau. And actually, I thought Trudeau spoke very well the other day. I'll accept condolences from them sincerely and I'll thank them. Putin, however, in my view, can stick it. Um, I, I, I've got that, that man who I didn't have much time for, even when the Queen was forced to spend time in his company on that state visit he had here in the early 2000s. Um, he, I didn't have a very high opinion of him then. I've got a much lower one now. Um, but yeah, it, it does go to show the magnitude from countries who we have had many differences with. They all want to pay tribute to Her Majesty. And uh, again, she has had to deal with tyrants over the years. If you look at the certain people who've had state visits, uh, Putin wasn't the only tyrant by any means who had a state visit to this country. But the respect in which she was held, we're not going to see her like again in our lifetime, certainly, are we, Greg? Uh, no, but I'm rather hoping that Charles will command the same respect, but in his own way. And I think that's a very good point to end on, Greg, because it won't be the same with Charles. He'll have, he's of a different generation. He's obviously a different gender. Uh, he'll have his own style and we've got to allow him the room to develop his own style and not look for that gotcha moment where, ah, the Queen would have done it this way, but he's done it that way. Let him develop it in his own style in the weeks, months, and indeed years that are in front of us. But anyway, Greg, I'd like to thank you for your time and you've given us a fascinating insight. Um, the days ahead are going to be extraordinary. 
and I think we've both paid warm and sincere tributes to Her Majesty and wished King Charles III and the rest of the royal family all the very best. Greg, thank you as always. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you again next time. God save the king. God save the king. <laughs>